we are walking through this series. We're actually coming to the end of this theme we're calling I Am. Each of the weeks we've been exploring this, we've been looking at one of eight statements Jesus made. Statements that began with these two words, all meant to describe himself, to define himself, to give those who were listening to him, hearing him, greater sense of clarity and insight in his nature and his character. And um, though they, all, they definitely did that, they illuminated how he saw himself. They also, if we could see it this way, hear it this way, they were statements that were provocative in nature. Because each one caused the ones who were listening to him to reconsider how they had perhaps what assumptions they had about him and certainly what assumptions they had about every other aspect of life. See, their agreement with his self-assessment had the capacity to not just alter how they interacted with him, but to also alter how they interacted everywhere else. They were significant in nature. And we're coming to the final statement. All of them, by the way, are found in the Gospel of John. But I'd, I'd suggest that this is perhaps one of the more simple statements Jesus makes. It's not challenging to understand what he's implying when, he, when he, we hear him say what he says. But I think we're also going to see this weekend that what he is saying is that this life of faith calls us to a certain place. It actually calls us to courageously embrace our limitations. Now, by doing so, we end up positioning ourselves to receive real life and nourishment for our soul. And he is actually, at these, these, this final statement he makes is, is a challenge to courageously embrace our limitations. And in a day and age like today, like the one we live in, this is... No easy thing to do. It's on the eve before he would give his life away on the cross that he is actually making his way from the upper room. Judas has left the group. It is now just 11 disciples he's talking to. 11, he knows, committed men who have decided to follow him, who are not, if we could say it this way, they're not casual in their loyalty and yet even they will not, they will fail as well. But as they are making their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which we know is the place in which Jesus wrestles with God about what he's about to step into. Jesus knows exactly the suffering and the pain he's going to endure. And it is there that he starts to, um, we start to see the pressure he has been walking with start to flow out. And just before those moments, he decides on the way there, to share these words. His final evening with his disciples, some of his final words, which make them extremely important. And so if you open up your handout, we'll go ahead and walk through this passage, which is found in John 15. And we're told in verse 1 that Jesus opens up with this statement. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. We see from the very beginning, he begins this metaphor by alluding to the image of a vine. And he says, he says the statement that we just read. And he says that he is the true vine. Which, and, and here's the thing. He is speaking to a group of men who would be familiar with what a vineyard is like, a vine that 
has grapes hanging off of it. They would be, they understand the significance of wine in their culture and all that it means, but they would also understand that their very nation, Israel as a whole, had been once before referred to as God's very own vineyard. They would know, and this is found primarily in the book, in the, in the book of Isaiah, that God ended up calling Israel a vine that he took out of a place of captivity, planted in a fertile ground. And he did this. He himself cared for this vine so that it could produce an abundance of fruit. And the whole reason Israel, this is what the implication is, existed was to demonstrate to the world what it looks like when God takes care of you. You're supposed to bear fruit that shows what this looks like. And we know throughout history that especially in Isaiah, God, he says, he comes and he, he speaks through Isaiah and he says, I have done everything for your benefit. I've given you everything you needed. You, you lacked nothing. And yet what you produce are sour grapes. They're not, they're not what they should be. Why? We see Jesus use that image. And what does he say? He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Many believe what he is doing is he's essentially saying, because you know what he's not saying? He's saying, I'm like a vine. He's not. He's actually claiming he is everything Israel was supposed to be, but wasn't capable of being. He says it, he says, and my father is my personal caretaker. He cares for me like a, a vine dresser cares for their vineyard. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away every branch that does bear fruit. We prune it. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. We have to understand what he is speaking about. And this is of some concern for some of us, but many believe that what he is speaking about is not actually having to pertain with salvation. Because he's speaking to a group of men where that question was already settled. But what he is actually, Jesus is actually saying, is we could hear it this way, he is actually saying proximity to the vine does not mean being connected to the vine. That there, there, there is a, actually, it is possible to be near, is what he's saying, to be near the vine, me, is what he would say. To be close and to actually be separated from life. Proximity doesn't mean connection. And when that happens, the branch loses its reason for existing and it's, it's, it's put aside like, like any responsible vine dresser would do. A branch that doesn't able to pr produce fruit, well, it either needs to be repaired or removed. Now those who produce fruit we long to make it more effective. This is what Jesus is saying, that they may be, be able to produce more fruit. And so it is pruned. This is what he's saying. And he says in verse three, maybe to assure them or to reassure them, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This, this quite, don't worry. You're, you're settled. You're okay. Abide in me, he says in verse four, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you hear it? Do you hear the drumbeat that he's starting to play now? He's essentially calling them. And I, I see this, I, I, I almost, I see Jesus walking toward the garden. He's 
walking with these grown men and he looks at them and what does he say? He says, essentially, oh, time out. I know where we're headed. You're no longer going to hear me and see me quite the same way. And I want you to understand, I am the vine. You're the branch. All right? Just so you understand. I am the vine. You're the branch. You hear that drumbeat over and over. He goes, and it, what does he say? He's essentially saying, embrace your limitation. Embrace it. Because in the same way the branch can't bear fruit without the vine, neither, and what does he say? Neither can you. What? Whoever abides, in, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Just so we're clear. I am the vine, you're the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? So this is a, this is a word that he, he starts building. Okay, I am the true vine. You're all the branches. God is my caretaker. Okay? Now, he's walking. So, so just, I am the vine, you're the branch. We clear on that? I'm the vine, you're the branch. Okay, yeah. In the same way a branch can't bear fruit without the vine, neither can you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So I am the vine, you're the branch. We heard you. You know, it's almost like, all right, you're the vine, I'm the branch. Okay, so just so we're really clear, you can't do anything apart from me. Well, because you're the branch, remember? I'm the vine. So, remember, you, so you, nothing. Okay, are we clear? You know, it, that's, that's, that's the sense Jesus, I, I get. So he's wanting to pause and really make sure this is like grained in there. These are, his, these are some of his final words. Nothing. Nothing. These are grown men, by the way. Men who are, who are used to being self-sustaining, who had uh, careers, who had a way of life, fiercely independent, strong. Uh, what is he, what, he, does he mean nothing at all? You can't do anything? No, well, he's speaking nothing that actually matters. Nothing that actually matters. This is now. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. He loses his purpose. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. They don't have any other purpose. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You want to know the secret to prayer life? Well, allow my words to sink deep within you. It will transform the desires of your heart. Your desires will align with the very thing God wants to give you. You will ask it and God will give it. That... that you will synchronize exactly with what God wants to do. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is what will give God glory. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Let it seep through you. Let it nourish you. Says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Which I, I consider an amazing thing, that Jesus is concerned for their joy. 
as he makes his way to perhaps the most gruesome and brutal experience he will ever have. He says, now, I'm telling you this so that you are full of joy. Okay? Which he's saying a couple things. He has said a lot in the words we just shared here together. But what is he saying? He's saying, one, he's, he's besides saying he is the vine, we are the branch. He's saying, you know why the branch exists? This is what he's telling. You know why you're here? So that you can be fruitful. That you're in, your purpose is to bear much fruit. And that is what will prove to everybody else around you, you're mine. They, they belong to Jesus. You're my disciple. That's how you will prove. By bearing much fruit, you will produce much. And out of that producing, others will undeniably, they cannot deny it anymore. They will see, wow, they, they, they are disciples of Jesus. They are followers and God will take glory for it. Now, when we speak of fruit, what is it that we are speaking of? Many have attempted to define this, but luckily the scriptures have also given us uh, an idea of what this might look like. It speaks of the very character of Christ. Um, the root produces the fruit, right? An apple tree will produce apples. And if the vine is Jesus, what does that produce? Well, Paul said it this way. He said it in Galatians 5, 22, and He said this, this fruit of the spirit or the spiritual life in Christ is this. And he gives this list. The, the fruit, singular, has many aspects. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such, there is no law. You will never get in trouble for these things. There's no restriction on producing these. All right? You'll never be outside of the law for these things. Now, this is the fruit. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, this produced through you is what will give God great glory. And others will undeniably, they will see it. And they will say, they belong those, those are followers of Jesus. Those are committed students of Jesus. That's what a disciple means. So if that's the case, and what Jesus is implying is of great concern for us, because if we could hear it this way, and this is how I'd like us to enter the unpacking of what Jesus said, is he's actually saying, yes, he's saying something about himself. There's no question about it. But he's actually defining for us a lot about the Christian life. And this is really important for us to consider, whether we are exploring what the Christian life is all about, or we have been following Jesus for some time now, and we would call ourselves Christian. This is good for us. Some of us, this may be, these might be very good reminders. Others of us, these might be great introductions to what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, a Christian. Because what Jesus is saying from the outset is this. What is he saying? He's saying, though the fruit, though fruit is the purpose of its branch, of the branch, though fruit is the purpose of the branch, it is not its responsibility. Do you understand? He, what is he, because what did he say? What did he hammer over and over? I am the vine, you are the branch. I am the vine, you are the branch. 
And the reason you're there is to produce fruit. And a lot of us, we hear this and we, we think to ourselves, boy, there's a lot of pressure to produce in this life, to produce fruit. That, that's my responsibility. But that's not actually what Jesus said. He said, we will produce fruit. That is why we exist. That's why the branch is there. But can you hear it? And this is tremendously good news for us. It's not our responsibility. Why is this such a big deal? Well, this is significant because if we can think of it this way, a lot of times this is where this exact confusion, and perhaps this is what he was looking into, the very future of these disciples that were following him. They were going to take on things that they weren't supposed to take on, and he's warning them. And this, is, this confusion is what makes our faith can become, if I can say it this way, toxic. That faith can actually become toxic. If we end up confusing the responsibility to be ours, how, how does, why? Why would it become toxic? Because if we could think of it this way, we inevitably, we will start on this journey. Or some of us are exploring. We might, we might be excited. We're on the precipice, which is great. But some of us, we've been following Jesus for some time. And we will start to recognize a discrepancy between how we behave and how Jesus behaved. All right? We will see it. And if you don't see it yet, it's okay. Just give it some time. But we will start to see it. We will start to see our thoughts they're not that loving. Um, you know, the words we, we want to share, they're not gentle all the time. Uh, patience, man, we run out of it like quickly sometimes, right? Loving kindness, <laughs> you know, we, that, that's hard for us. And we start to see a, a discrepancy between how Jesus says one who follows him should behave and how we behave. And that will start to concern us, it, as it should. But it will start to concern us. Well, something inside of us will start to sense something of pressure build. Because we will start to think, in order to be a part of this community, clearly we have to bear this fruit. We have to be loving and kind and gentle and patient. Man, it's hard work, we'll start to think. Right? And so what do we do? What do we do? Since it's not actually coming out of us. It's, it's not naturally birthing through us. What do we do? Well, in the absence of having it, you know what many of us choose to do? And I, I say us. We choose to fake it. We choose to fake it. Yeah, many of us have heard this term. Fake it until you make it. And you know where that happens? That, that happens a lot in faith communities. It does. It does. You know, somebody may, may wrong us, right? They ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? You know, inside, we know. It's like, it's, you know yeah, sure, because I have to. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll, I'll forgive you. But inside, it's not actually there. It's not there. You know, we, we might not feel kind towards somebody. Like, ah, ah, yeah. Get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Run out of patience. You know, what do we do? We, we, you know what we start to do? We do this long enough, we start to wear a facade. We start to wear a mask. And others think they see what's actually there, but they only see what we are pretending is there. And all the while, 
what's happening is toxic. Because we start to think this is how faith is supposed to be lived out, which undermines the very reason we even started in this journey. Do you understand that? Because the premise of a faith journey with Christ is one that says, I have a need and I can't produce what I need. Only he can. And so when we, when we start to embrace him in our life, this is, by the way, this is why it's so wonderful. The first days, the first weeks, the initial season, with, we start to sense something. Oh my goodness, I'm receiving what I could never produce on my own. Forgiveness I could never earn. Grace I could never pay for. I can, it's a gift. Acceptance. This is... This is given to me? Yes, it's given to you. And over time, we start to confuse and we start to realize, man, it's just not flowing out of me. And so I better just kind of put it on. And we do that long enough. You know what happens is the reason it becomes toxic is because we start to get tired of this. And something starts to occur within our heart. Something inside of us will start to become somewhat cynical, jaded. We will start to assume, perhaps rightly in some cases, that this is what everyone else is doing. Everyone just got it all put together, looking great, except me. Got to put it on. And we get tired long enough and we start to decide something. This is, this is the sad side. This is the dangerous side of us Christian faith journey is that we do this long enough, we end up deciding to do the exact opposite of what Jesus said we should do. We start to walk away. And we start to disengage. And we start to say, you know what? I don't think that is for me. It, they're good, but not, not me. I don't think this is possible. It, I tried it. Didn't work. Made it worse, actually. I'm all right. And that's, 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 that's when it gets toxic. Now, if we're not supposed to fake it, and we're not, hopefully, not supposed to walk away, then clearly the answer is to just be completely authentic at all times. If we think it, we say it, right? No, that would be disastrous, okay? <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Don't do that, all right? Will you forgive me? Not today, buddy. <laughs> I'm being real, all right? It's not the solution, okay? What is the solution? Ah, oh, the solution is so simple, so hard. The Christian vitality, where does it come from? It comes from remaining connected to Jesus. The entire essence of what Jesus came to do is saying, you want real life? Stay connected. Remember, I'm the vine, he said. You're the branch. You know what a branch is concerned about? The entire existence? It had concerns. Holding on to the vine for dear life. Literally. That's it. Holding on to the vine. He says, vitality, real life surging through your soul. Fruit that will appear. You knew maybe beforehand. You didn't even think it could exist. Now you will see it. If your consuming attention is applied to this simple yet very difficult, why is it so hard? Because we compare ourselves to others. That is why we do it in every other aspect of life. Why not in, in a faith journey? We do. 
Or we start to think this is what we have to do to be accepted when we forget the premise of this whole thing. So we have to stay connected. So how do we remain connected? How do we get to a place in which we start to learn how to have real life flowing through us? Well, we courageously embrace our limitations. We are the branch, not the vine. We are the branch, not the vine. And how do we do this? How do we stay connected to Jesus? Well, firstly, I'd like to suggest that what he's saying in verse 7, what does he say? If you abide in me, that is live in me, and my words abide in you. If my words abide in you, which, what does that mean? It means that we are, what is he saying? He's saying we are to increase our knowledge base of his word. That is what we are to do. He's speaking to a group of men, by the way, didn't have the benefit of the scriptures of the Newer Testament. They themselves, some of them, would end up writing them. All they had was their memories of what Jesus said. Now, they had the advantage of hearing the tone in which he said them. The deliberate nature in which he delivered them. They would remember much like we would remember words shared by loved ones that have impacted us. Some of those words, by the way, have framed us. Jesus, increase. Remember my words. Let them live inside of you. It's almost as if he's saying our soul is fertile ground for words to be deposited in. Which it is. It is. It's why sometimes songs can't leave us. They're just in our minds. We remember other times a song comes on. We know the lyric. We may not have heard it for 20 years, 10 years. We know the lyric. Others of us, we never knew the lyric. We just made it up every single time. And <laughs> know the song. Words get deposited. You see it. And this, some, some of us, we need, to, in, we need to understand that vitality comes from developing a discipline of becoming increasingly familiar with his word on our own, privately. That as we become a little bit more familiar and we start to understand what he is saying, it starts to deposit within us. And sometimes in a season of our lives, we will grab a verse, a word, and it will be our source of sustenance for a season. It will be our connection to the vine. This is what is feeding me right now. This is what it, I, I cannot tell you how many times I have been on the precipice of things that have frightened me, scared me, things may, perhaps I'm stepping into that I feel not capable of stepping into. And I remember time and time again, there have been a significant amount of um, strength that I've received from a simple verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. My, my spirit is not one of fear but of power, love, and soundness of mind. I, I cannot tell you how often that word strengthens, sustains my soul. Uh, where I am in trepidation, my spirit is not one of fear, Lewis, but I have power. I can infuse you with love, soundness of mind. That feeds my soul. We each, all of us who say we are, if we agree with Jesus, we are branches, we need to discover the strength that comes from knowing his word. What else do we need to discover? What is he saying? He's saying that we are to grow in our affection 
grow in our affection. Why does he say? He says this in verse 10. He says, look, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide in my love. You will. You will sense something of my love surrounding you, strengthening you, assuring you. And what does he say in verse 9? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We can say, put it this way. There is nobody more loving than Jesus, but we can also say, nobody better received God's love than Jesus. Nobody. There's nobody who was more open to the love God wanted to share and shower upon him than he. And in, in conversely, no one could love better than he. Some of us, we don't do, need to do anything. You, you know what he's asking us? Is to receive his love over us to receive something of his song being sung over us. You know, one of my favorite parables is the parable of the prodigal son. What happens? The son is running home, what? Ashamed of everything he has done. He goes to the father and he says, I don't, I don't even deserve to be called your son. Can I just be your servant? And the father wouldn't have anything of it. He embraces the son, grabs him and hugs him and starts to kiss him. And he tells his servants, grab the sandals and the robe and the ring and the fatted calf. My son is back. I love him. You understand that real life flows when we start to sense something of God's pleasure in our soul. Not because of what we have done, but because we are attached to the vine. We are attached to the vine. He longs to love us, to soften our heart, to heal us. We need, some of us, we need to hear his voice. We need to see him kissing us on top of our head. So our affection will grow for him. And when that happens, you know what else he says? He says, our loyalty will grow. We will keep his commandments. His commandments will take precedence over every other desire, over every other inclination. We will keep his commandments. What he says will be of ultimate importance to us. This is how we remain connected. Increasingly so. Not perfectly so. Increasingly so. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Can your commandment become a little bit more important to me? What you say, can it be more important to me? Then what my neighbor says or what my coworker says or what I think in my own mind or what those I love think or what they say, can your commandment be what I become increasingly loyal to? And we get to a place of loyalty with Jesus. You know what ends up happening? We then become willing to suffer with him, willing to walk this journey out with him, willing to, see, if you can see it this way, endure both the cost and receive the benefit, because he has been loyal to us. We will never know loyalty. We will never know true loyalty until we see it from the commitment of Jesus himself. We've, this, is, this, is, this is the one we've been walking through, some of us, throughout this entire fall season. He is one who does not leave. He remains. He remains. And when we start to recognize this, then we start to do something else. We start to embrace our, our dependency on him. 
our dependency on him, which runs counter to the grain of who we are as a people, as a nation, as a culture. Independence is highly valued, rightly so. But Jesus is saying something profound, if you could see it this way. The secret to life with God is to discover truly how much we need God. And the more we understand, we are ultimately totally dependent on Him. Then the more fruit will emerge. That is the paradox of this journey of faith. That is, if we hear nothing else, this is what it looks like. And some of us, we maybe have been doing this for some time, and we may be tired, we may be weary, and can you just hear this? Your responsibility is not to bear fruit. Your responsibility is to abide in the vine. Let him bear it through you. This is what we need to hear. Some of us, well, we, I need to say this to myself day in and day out. The results, they're the vine's responsibility. I'm the branch. He's the vine. I'm the branch, he's the vine. And if that's the case, what we start to see, we start to live this way. We start to see what Jesus promised, that this life, this Christian life, is meant to be one that produces joy. Real joy. Joy isn't happiness, by the way. Happiness depends on what happens to us. And so we could be happy, and then someone cuts us off. We're no longer happy. <laughs> it's possible. It's, that happens. That All of us go through that. But joy, the reason why he said joy is because he never promised that there would be no pain, no suffering. He never promised there would be no loneliness. He never promised there would be any, no struggles anymore. He never promised any such thing. What he promised was in the midst of it all, there would be something emerging within us that is independent of circumstances that will speak of life and hope and love. And that will produce joy. By the way, that will also produce a greater level of freedom. If my internal condition is no longer dependent on my external reality, we are now free. We are truly free. And this, this is what actually caught the attention of everyone around the early church because the early church was made up of a composite of people. Some, yes, in more higher economic social status, but yet they decided they didn't have enough and they needed and then those who were of the lower echelons of their economic society were the ones who actually erupted with enormous amounts of joy. People who were suffering, people who were in prison, people who were persecuted. They themselves exuded something outside of them. It just flowed. It's like they themselves were filled with joy. And they couldn't understand it. How is it possible? You don't have what we think we need. Yet you are more fulfilled. And that, that is what caused people to say, how do I get that? How do I, how, can I have some of what 
you have. Just what Jesus said would happen. They will know when your life bears fruit. Not because you focus on forcing fruit. Can't do it. Because you remain connected to the vine. How does the Christian life produce real life-changing, life-giving results? How? How does this work in a sustainable way that isn't empty religion? How? Jesus would say, just remember, I am the vine. You're the branch. That's how. May our lives, may our lives uh, be connected to him. And may our soul grow with satisfaction as we take our eyes off of the results, put them onto what he is asking us to put them onto. And we start to sense our lives be filled with real fruit. May we be heavy with the evidence of the vine in our soul. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving, close in a final song, but I'd love to just pray. Ask for his blessing. Lord, ah, we thank you. We thank you that you did not come to burden us with an impossible task. You do not call us to a life that um, takes and only takes from us. But you came promising the gift of life coursing through us. Promising transformation of our own heart. And the capacity to see, to be up front row witnesses of your love expanding us of your gentleness flowing through us, of your patience increasing inside of us, of your self-control becoming a defining factor of who we are, of your loving kindness and faithfulness that does not quit planting us. We thank you that you give us the privilege of being a branch, getting the benefit of having the fruit, pray you help us. Help us, God. Agree with you. You're the vine. We're the branch. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.